Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Radio Imbibe from Imbibe Magazine. I'm Paul Clark, editor-in-chief at Imbibe, and way back in 2009, while reporting a feature article for Imbibe, I headed across the border to Vancouver, B.C., to investigate its cocktail scene a few months before that city hosted the 2010 Olympics. My first day in town, I stopped at a bar in the Gastown neighborhood and received a briefing from the bartender there on the different places around Vancouver that I should check out during my stay. One of the places he'd flagged for me was the refinery, where he said the bartender had a really innovative approach going on. And then, as if by kismet, the refinery's bartender, Lauren Moat, walked in and sat down next to me at the bar. I've known Lauren ever since, and I made it to her bar a few nights later, and that first bartender was right. She had an amazing and innovative approach to working with cocktails and ingredients. Since my first experience with her in 2009, many, many more people have discovered Lauren's talents as she's gone on to win competitions and awards, most recently this past summer as Best Bar Mentor at the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards, and she's moved into roles that have taken her around the world to share her approach to cocktails. Those travels have now resulted in a book coming out later this month, A Bartender's Guide to the World, Cocktails and Stories from 75 Places. So for this episode, I'm checking in with Lauren from her home in Amsterdam during a brief stop between trips to talk about the people and places she's encountered over the years and how those translate through into her cocktails. Lauren Moat, welcome to Radio Imbibe. Thank you. So happy to be here. Back when I first met you in 2009, you were a bartender at the refinery in Vancouver and you were working on developing your own company, Bittered Sling. Since that time, you've grown first in the Vancouver cocktail bar community, which is awesome, but you've also become a very international figure in the drinks world. First, winning a number of accolades and competitions and scoring a great job with Diageo, and more recently moving to Amsterdam to continue the adventure there. Through it all, you've been traveling. At the time we're talking, you just wrapped up Barcelona Cocktail Week and you're getting ready to head to Berlin for Bar Convent in a couple of days. And that's where your book comes in, A Bartender's Guide to the World, Cocktails and Stories from 75 Places. Because as you've been traveling the world in your various roles, you've also been taking notes. What was the prompt after 20 years of working and traveling to put all of that together in this book? Okay, you just did the best one minute and two second summary of my entire life. So well done. (laughs) I can't even summarize it that quickly. But, um, you know, I've actually been in the industry for 26 years. I've been serving drinks for 22 years uh, of the 26. But I've always loved being in hospitality. Hospitality was uh, part of the reason why my family, which is kind of all over the place and not really a typical nuclear family, I've got brothers in some places, parents are split up and all over the place. Hospitality and coming together for food and drink together was was the cornerstone of our home life. And some of the only times we were actually together. So I was I was naturally bred and sort of moved into the world of hospitality because it did feel like the right approach for me. And I think over the last uh, 22 years of at least making drinks, partly, you know, the idea that the entertainment of being on stage, of working behind a bar, was the attraction for me. Getting to see the guest interaction right away from something I had served them was the thing I couldn't get from working in a kitchen because I also wanted to be a chef and I had trained. And so I was ready to go in that direction. And, and so I think, you know, over the last 20 years, it was less about, I'm just going to stand behind the bar and see what happens over the next 20 years. But it was more, how do I get excited and interested about all the facets 
of the bartending world, of what it is to be in this industry and use it as my full-time focus. But all of the other things I was doing on the side while I was learning you know, political science or peace and conflict studies, whatever it was that I was studying, ended up going in reverse. It ended up complementing into my bartender world. And so every, every drink I made, every business I worked on, uh, every location I traveled to, the people I would meet, and then ultimately, you know, the, the different things that I would hang more of a full-time hat on were all influenced by each portion of that journey, uh, which, which is quite cool. And so the book is not a typical recipe book in the sense that you open it and you're looking for, ooh, what's a great spin on a Negroni? Or I'm really interested in making, you know, Lauren's focus of an old fashioned. It's less about that and more about writing a series of essays or longer head notes that capture sort of the, the interesting moments that happened over the last 20 years and illustrate it and bring it to life with a cocktail that makes sense as part of the story. Um, so I would like to say this is volume one. And to be clear, while you have the word cocktails in the title and you do indeed have all these recipes in the book, this is as much of a book of stories as it is a guide to drinks. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, I, it's funny, you mentioned in the beginning when we first met back in 2009, and it was more or less around the time that you launched the article called Team Canada, which was talking about the interesting things people could expect coming to Vancouver for the 2010 Olympics. And the refinery and, and what I was doing there was, was definitely part of that. And it just feels like such a long time ago. I mean, we've just done so much in that 13 years, um, both of us, you know, and, and a lot of the people we've interacted with. And, you know, the, I think for cocktails, and you'll probably agree with this, cocktails have also taken an interesting journey over that time. You know, it, it, back in 2009, it, it was about sticking as many different thought-provoking ideas in the glass and seeing what came out. And that was the thing that we led with. But now we're coming back to, to basics again. It was, it's almost like the tail end of our cocktail renaissance where we're just starting again, where we, now we have, you know, these beautiful quality ingredients to start with um, and more choiceful. And it's, it's just really interesting to see how the industry has changed at the same time as, as sort of cap capturing the stories for this book. Right. And in a way, we're going back to that simplicity, but we're going back to this, that simplicity informed by the experiences we've gone through these past 20 years. You know, I remember going to your bar in 2009, and one of the things I initially noticed is you were using things like flowers and cocktails. Early in the book, you flag a section about ingredients and ingredients you like to use. How do things like essential oils and preserved lemons and cascara factor into your approach to cocktails? And how has that been influenced by your travels around and your experiences on the road with your husband, Jonathan, who we should note is also a chef and your business partner? Yeah, yeah. he's lurking in the background, listening in. He's like, oh, yeah, that's me. Um yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the top 12 specialty ingredients, uh, let's be honest, I, I, I could write a book on just specialty ingredients, uh, but so picking 12 was really difficult. But I think picking the 12 that bring to life an interesting flavor profile and something that is a little bit uncommon for, let's say, the average consumer at home who started making cocktails during the pandemic as well where they're a bit more advanced in, in perhaps their prowess and expertise making drinks at home, this could be a really interesting thing for them to get into. So 
looking at things like flowers, flowers lend themselves uh, to a variety of uh, very interesting aromatics, um, different ways of infusing into, you know, lower proof ingredients like vermouths or sake or other aromatized or fortified wines. And so it just became like a very interesting way of, as you mentioned, like taking the simplicity into the way we make cocktails now that we have been informed by what we've done over the last, you know, several decades and being able to take something really uncommon, but really evocative in so many ways, like a flower, like a cherry blossom or a rose or lavender, and be able to use that in a really thoughtful and interesting way in a recipe design that the consumer or the guest would be familiar with. So we'd take that flower, infuse it into a vermouth, and all of a sudden that becomes the building blocks of how we want to showcase a lighter style Martinez stirred drink with gin. You'd mentioned how we're coming back to this kind of simplicity and how it's informed by recent experiences. While we're talking about building flavors and matching flavors and textures of different ingredients, we're not always talking about starting from scratch. Uh, these old cocktails provide us a great starting point in many ways. You give a hat tip in each of the recipes in your book to a familiar cocktail or a classic cocktail that got you started down this path. I'm thinking here, for example, of the recipe you have in the book for the daiquirita, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like with the Mercado Mai Tai. How do you find good jumping off points and creative opportunities with some of these familiar cocktails. I think it's so funny that you highlighted the two like split base cocktails in in the book where it's a split base between a uh, reposado tequila or a blanco tequila and like a really beautiful aged rum and it's it's really really cool to start experimenting in that way. If we have such beautiful ingredients to begin with, then why muddy them up with so many ingredients when we can start looking at how actually the base spirits from other categories can start to bloom and amplify flavors because after all, they are, are they are from like, you know, equator hugging ingredients that are grown in, in hot climates. So I, I think it's a, that's, that's quite interesting. Uh, number one, I wrote this book knowing that there will be a fine balance and a delicate dance of expressing the type of bartender that I am to the consumer reading the book, as well as being able to make sure that the consumer picks up this book and says, I would totally make that. So the, I, I think being able to connect each of these recipes back to a familiar recipe design that they might've seen on cocktail lists, they might've seen published in Vibe online as a recipe they'd make at home or somewhere else. I think that gives them the building blocks of trust for the actual writer and for the bartender to say, trust the process because you're already familiar with the recipe design. We're just going to amplify it and change it. We're going to create something that you haven't had before, but it might soon become your favorite drink to share with friends and family. You have stories and inspirations in this book, ranging from Mexico City to Taipei to New Delhi, but you also reach back to your hometown of Toronto for drinks like the Autumn and Eve. Was it good to bring something close to home into this globe-trotting conversation? Definitely. Um, I would I would love to say that you know seventy five cocktails, seventy five stories and places uh, were all from you know international uh, locations outside of Canada. But but the truth of the matter is is that Canada. Uh, and my upbringing was such a formative part of who I am today and the reasons why I do what I do today, that the the storytelling of being able to reach into these experiences from, from my past and from my childhood have been really uh, cathartic in a way of remembering some of those thoughts and flavors of, of the past. And 
you know, I think the, uh, you know, you, you mentioned about the autumn and Eve and talking about this, you know, this insanity of like the pumpkin spice phenomenon, but we're actually putting pumpkin in the drink. And so that, that really excites me. And I, I only have Giuseppe Gonzalez in my head right now, you know, bartender at Herbs and Rye in Vegas, who's just, I think he's starting his campaign already this year about pumpkin spice. And so it's trying to be like a little bit more whimsical and playful of some of the things that are are part of the zeitgeist of uh, flavors that we are aware of because media really writes about them. Why can't we as bartenders that have excellent technique, a great grasp and understanding of you know recipe designs and how to pair flavors together? Why can't we do something fun that brings to life you know that one individual ingredient in a different way? And um, you know, I had uh, I had some amazing uh, memories from from when I was a kid, and also when I was, um, you know, as a young adult living in Canada because I didn't leave Canada until 2019. So it's still so much. I'm sorry, I didn't move out of the country. I left many times before then, but just just more uh, highlighting, you know, some of those really cool stories that I think, you know, when my my friends and family from back home read this book, they'll immediately be able to gravitate to those stories and say, oh my gosh, I totally remember when that happened. And, you know, it, it gives a different ritual experience uh, for the home bartender making this drink. You know, again, this is a cocktail book and a travel book. So among the travels you relate, you're always thinking on some kind of culinary foundation. You're always having those experiences come into play. How is that thought process for you when you're visiting a Mercado in Mexico City or a spice shop in Mumbai or the entire city of New Orleans? How are you picking up influences that will later come through in the work that you do? Okay, so it's a loaded question because so uh, so at home I eat 99% plant-based and that is uh, a personal choice because of heavily processed production whatever else and I just love vegetables but the 1% is reserved for when I travel. Now, India I think is a great example of that. I landed in India and uh the the folks that I was traveling with they picked me up and said oh, we're going to go to this really great steakhouse for dinner because we know you're Western and it might be what you're interested in eating. And I said, well, you couldn't have got that so entirely wrong. I wanna eat where you go, where you go for your special occasions, where you go for your breakfast before you pick up international people like me and think you wanna take me to a Western restaurant. And they said, well, we're gonna take you for early morning, uh, you know, coconut chutney, homemade dosas and herbs. We're gonna walk through these markets and this and that. And I said, that's exactly what I want. So I ate with them and I also ate with with the crew in the same way in in Thailand. I've eaten with uh, with people in the same way, actually, in New Orleans when I travel with guests or, you know, even just myself and Jonathan. I think it's important to really connect with the, the flavors, the cultural and culinary traditions of the land to really pay respect to what the techniques are and how they've been influenced by maybe the original um, nations of, of where these dishes have come from. And then also it's, it's celebrating the cultures of, of what we have access to now that we get to eat and drink in such a, a profoundly interesting and exciting way, you know, just moving forward into the future. So I think the stories become a blend of the people that I've met the experiences that they had that were like the aha light bulb moment, whether it was a flavor, a restaurant we went to, a market we experienced, 
and then how we bring it all together in a cocktail that illustrates, you know, the conclusion of the story. As I mentioned at the outset, you're always on the road. It's a regular place for you to be. Uh, those travels were understandably interrupted a couple of years ago during the COVID shutdowns. As you've reemerged back into the world over the past year or so, what are some of the aspects of the global cocktail community and the culinary community that you've really found yourself appreciating a bit more or seeing in a different light? I'm really excited that the folks that are, I guess, the creators of whatever the the cultural cuisines or the traditions from each of the lands, whether, you know, they're places that we live now or, um, you know, from different immigrant communities that have come into different countries and cities around the world and, and brought their flavors and rituals with them, that we're able to experience them almost for the first time with without the interruption or the distraction of uh, thinking we don't have time to experience or we're not present with the people that we're dining with. And I've found that both with food, drinks, and with shopping for ingredients, that there seems to be a more mindful approach to how much time we spend with those ingredients, really contemplating the flavors, really contemplating, I guess, during a, a conversation of where these, these ingredients and rituals have come from, and celebrating them and really, really appreciating them for what they are rather than taking them for granted, which I think we did quite a lot uh, prior to the pandemic. Um, it was easy access to everything at all times without understanding that one day we could lose all of this. And I think the pandemic really helped us to reprioritize everything that we we're doing, you know, personally and professionally. But I think for, for folks that really appreciate food and drink, um, that was that was a major shift, and uh, I'm still in that space today, and I'm and I'm very happy to be there. And there's a lot of other people joining me in that space. Well, Lauren, it's always so good to talk to you and to see you. I'm jealous I won't be in Berlin for Bar Convent this year, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to crossing paths with you again very soon. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you having me on the show today. You can find Lauren online at bitteredsling.com and on Instagram at Lauren Mote. Just follow the link in this episode's notes to get you there. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Radio Imbibe to keep up with all of our future podcast episodes. We've got plenty more material for you online at imbibemagazine.com and check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and Facebook for all of your day-to-day -day needs. And if you're not already a subscriber to the print and or digital issues of Imbibe, then let's change that. Just follow the link in this episode's notes and we'll be happy to help. I'm Paul Clark. This is Radio Imbibe. 